A Shot of Life is sponsored by the Toronto School of Management's NCA Prep Program. Get in touch with Anton on Facebook or email ncaprep at torontosom.ca to find out how you can start prepping for your NCA exams on your own time, on demand, through pre-recorded modules taught by Canadian-trained expert lawyers, as well as study guides and notes that cover the entire NCA syllabus. Mention the discount code A Shot of Life to get 10% off your purchases with TSOM. You don't have to study alone. Get in touch with Anton and get started on your journey to becoming a lawyer in Canada today. Welcome to A Shot of Life podcast aimed at highlighting the personal journeys of professionals and entrepreneurs in Canada, taking a snapshot of the person behind their professional title. I'm your host, Anton Haswell, and this is episode 37 of our NCA series. Our 37th guest and third time on the podcast is Deborah Wolf. Deborah Wolf is the executive director of the National Committee on Accreditation and Law Schools programs with the Federation of Law Societies of Canada. The NCA assesses the qualifications of individuals with legal education and professional experience obtained outside of Canada or in a Canadian civil law program who wish to be admitted to a common law bar in Canada. Ms. Wolf also leads the process to approve Canadian common law law school programs. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Anton. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, uh, great to talk to you again for um, podcast 3.0 with uh, Deborah Wolf and the NCA. I really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Um, well, Deborah, I mean, we the last time we spoke was was a few months ago, at least, and we had um, sort of well, not we. You had embarked on a different exam schedule. Um, you know, we you'd kind of gotten um, quite inundated when COVID started with having to migrate things all online. And, you know, there were some, some pitfalls, some, some trials, tribulations. But I think when we last spoke, we were sort of looking forward to um, a new normal, let's call it that, at least for the year 2021 and a new exam schedule. And I'm curious to hear how that's gone. Um, you know, because for people who may not know, um, NCA exams were scheduled to be in person, quarterly, um, in bunches kind of thing. But now because of, um, you know, many different factors, they've now been sort of spread out over the course of a year um, where some exams will be offered monthly. And so I'm just wondering from your perspective how things have gone. Yeah, so it's interesting, um, Anton, you know that... The, the the hashtag pandemic perks you know sometimes we can mm-hmm. we can pull that out I mean there have been so many awful things that have happened through the pandemic and and we've been all challenged in in many different ways um, not least of which is um, mental health wise uh, but just you know our entire lives have changed in the way that we do different things um, but I think there are some things I think that are going to be improved when we come out of this and that may be 
um, work-life balance, other types of things. But for us, it's going to be that we are going to be keeping our exams 100% online. Mm. Um, this is actually something that I had been looking at, um, you know, on and off over the last 10 years or so. Um, but there were just, there were so many barriers to going down that road mm-hmm. and, um, you know, ripping the bandaid off of, of, of going and even considering it and thinking about um, doing things in two languages um, and doing things um, uh, securely. Uh, where are people around the world? What are, what are people's access to hardware, software, um, bandwidth, and all of those different things. But then when we were forced into doing it, um, uh, we have no interest in going back. Now, I think that there are negative aspects to having the exams online, but the positives outweigh those. And what we're now focusing on in terms of the exams, keeping the exams online, are, is improving them mm-hmm. and um, doing things like, and, and this is breaking news, um, making sure that there is the ability for people to go in before their exam and kind of test out the system. How do they log in? How do they get connected with a proctor? So, you know, that is something that we're going to be doing in the next six months or so. And so looking at how can we do things faster? How can we make sure that things are being done from our perspective um, easier? So that might be in terms of for people who are not successful in their exam, they fail an exam. Um, we provide um, three different pieces of information for them to learn from that, um, that failure or prepare for an appeal, whichever they choose to, or hopefully they're doing, you know, they're, they're all going to be doing the, what, what did I go, where did I go wrong? And then for those who are interested in appealing, of course, that's how they would prepare their appeal. We wanna get that out faster easier for us in terms of, of the turnaround and, um, and, and lessening some of the HR burden on us in terms of how that work is done. Mm-hmm. And so those are the types of things that we're focusing on now, but we're definitely staying online. In fact, um, we're, we're looking at the, the contract with our providers um, and we'll be signing a new one um, sometime in the next few months. Wow. That's, I mean, I think I can speak for the majority in saying that that's great news. And also, I mean, just sort of, going back to your breaking news, that um, the one thing I think really affected individuals at the very beginning of all of this was, you know, while there are quite a few young professionals who are looking to immigrate to Canada, there are also professionals who have been in their legal careers in their home jurisdictions for in sometimes sometimes decades. And they're used to a certain way of doing things, you know, and, and part of that is they're very used to when it's exam time, you go into a hall and you sit your exams and you write with your pen or your pencil. And that's the way things are done. People are very comfortable with that setup. And so when everything migrated online, I think there was this some, some level of discomfort for those, particularly those who aren't as tech savvy. Um, and for, for those of whom, you know, typing is a lot more difficult if English isn't your, sec- isn't your first language than it would be writing by hand. So in, in some ways, it's nice to allow people to log in a little bit early to get a feel for the environment, um, to sort of get your head wrapped around where the navigation tools are, you know, proctors, things like that, so that, you know, there's there's all the, the opportunity in the world for when the exam time starts, it's go time, rather than trying to yeah. navigate while you go, you know. Yes, exactly. And, and the diversity of our student body is was one of the main factors that made me hesitate to go online in the first place. Mm. You know, we're talking about 20 year old Canadians who finished high school and went to the UK to do a three year law degree. And then people who are, you know, maybe in the latter years of their career after having practiced in an environment where they aren't doing their own typing. 
Um, and so, you know, looking at that diversity, um, but the one thing that, that, that I've kind of hung my hat on is um, one of the, the requirements of the competency profile for lawyers in Canada is that they be technological savvy. Mm. Is that the, you know, and, and so when people, if they've practiced in a jurisdiction where maybe they um, dictate and someone else um, types up their material and they don't answer emails themselves, um, when they come to Canada and when they start practicing here, they are going to have to do that themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and, and not to say that an exam is the right time to learn that, um, but it's a signal that here are the types of things you're going to have to learn to do on your own. Um, because we don't have that traditional environment in Canada. I, w- I mean, I, I don't want to say it doesn't exist, but the vast, vast, vast majority of people are not working in that type of an environment in Canada. Mm-hmm. Yep. Makes sense. Makes sense to me. Um, I suppose quickly, now that we're on sort of the theme of online examinations, there were some questions firstly, um, and, and you answered without me asking, was that the exams are going to be staying online for 2022 and likely beyond. Right. That's correct. Great. Um, and so the next question naturally would be, if the exams are staying online, are you comfortable with the schedule you've come up with? Now, I know it's predicated on, you know, the availability of um, individuals that you hire to be able to design the exams, to grade the exams when they're completed. But how have you found, because I know it's been new uh, for you, but you know, aside from the technological aspect of things, how about what the schedule is like? Have you found, have you had feedback that says it's good? Um, Do you think there's room for some kind of an improvement or some sort of on-demand ability to write an exam when you want, or rather, will you keep to this kind of schedule where the exams are are on these dates and that's that? (laughs) So so that schedule, um, it's going to look similar in 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, but it won't be exactly the same. I think the, that some tweaking would be appropriate. And I need to look at um, what is the standard flow for a student? What is um, best for the examiners? Um, what is best for the proctors and the platform? And then what is best for my team? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of different factors to bring in here. But yeah. there's, we will not go back to having um, eight exams in one week. We're just never, ever going to do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so is the schedule of, you know, constitutional and criminal in January, followed by remedies, civil procedure and contracts. Um, you know, is that what we're going to end up with? Maybe, maybe not. Um, I think when I, when, I, when I put that schedule together, it was in the context of having run, for example, property four times in four months, mm-hmm. um, July, August, September and October. And so maybe what we need to do, in, and, and, and then we ran all of the exams in August, all of the exams in September, and then a subset of the exams in October. And so I want to look again at the, um, the timing of the various exams, the, one, the exams that are offered four times a year. So contracts towards property and then the optional subjects is two times a year for the optionals, three times a year for contracts towards a property. Is that sufficient? Um, are they um, spaced out properly? Is constitutional and criminal together appropriate versus um, you know, foundations and PR together? So those are all the different things that I'll, I'll be looking at. My aim is to have the 2022 schedule out by the end of the summer. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. I mean, useful to get some insight into the thinking that goes into scheduling, which, you know, I'm sure uh, many people would be uh, not aware of, but also also good to know that 
for individuals who've been asking me to expect an update on 2022 schedules sort of in a, in a couple of months or so in a month or soon ish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ish. We'll see. Um, so Deborah, again, on the exam front, I'm wondering if you could speak to me a little bit about um, the fee increase and, and sort of what goes into that. Yeah, so it's it's been really interesting to go through the process of, of budgeting, you know, the pandemic year budget and then um, the, the new reality budget um, mm-hmm. and looking at our additional costs. And our additional costs have been substantial. Um, the old way, and I know that some people thought, oh, well, you've gone online, so it's really cheap now for you. You should be dropping the price. And in fact, for us, it is substantially more expensive mm-hmm. because in the, in the, in the old days, um, many of our exams were hosted by the law societies and they charged us um, less than recovery, cost recovery. Um, ex- and then outside of Canada, the applicants themselves bore the cost of the facility where they were writing their exam. So let's say you were writing at the University of London. Yes, you paid us the exam fee, um, but we paid the shipping of the exam back and forth. You paid the fee to write at University of London. I don't remember what it was, but 75 pounds sounds to me like mm-hmm. what it was maybe something in that in that order and mm-hmm. so um the the costs were spread out differently and so we put brought in those two different fee increases um one to reflect the costs of um uh, the additional cost of running the system and also to look at some of the improvements that we're going to be doing over the next while. I do want to emphasize that the NCA um, has to be completely cost recovery through applicant fees, through exam fees. So we're not being funded by any other organization, nor are we feeding money into any other organization. So it is to be a balanced um, uh, budget. And that balance might not be every year, year end. It might be over a two-year period, or it might be, you know, a, di- a different um, time frame. Uh, but it is that very much um, making sure that what we're charging is what we're uh, is what we, what we need to charge. And mm-hmm. for anybody who's been around for a few years, you'll know that when I took over in two thousand nine, the exams cost five hundred and twenty-five dollars, and the assessment fee was twenty five hundred and twenty-five dollars. Now that that was two hundred nine two thousand nine dollars. Of course, that would be much more now because mm. of the- and then. We brought the fees down, we brought the fees down, we brought the fees down, and then we had to raise them because the costs go up and down um, and, and different different pieces of work that we're doing uh, cost more. So if we're able to, let's say in two years, we're able to find some cost savings, we will decrease the fees because mm-hmm. we are not a profit-making organization. Right. I think that's important to note that last bit there, not a profit-making organization. Um, and, and to be, you know, to be fair, there are people asking who don't know that, you know, they're just, they're curious as to what goes into a fee raise, what, what, what's the logic behind. And I think, you know, you, you fairly answered that. Um, so the next question that I had from, from a listener was about the legal research and writing component that will be new, um, to the NCA requirements. And, I know that last time we spoke, there was, you know, something that maybe developed um, into a course or a mandatory sort of exam or something that was going to come into um, into place eventually. And so, what's recently been announced 
by your office is that in fact there will be a legal research and writing component to the NCA exam or the NCA accreditation process for internationally trained lawyers. I suppose, I mean, two-part question for you, Deborah. The first one is, again, if you could just briefly go into what prompted the NCA to institute this kind of an assessment um, and be a more sort of administrative question. There were, there were candidates wondering, um, when does this apply to me? Theoretically, if I had applied for assessment yesterday, do I need to, is it mandatory for me to take the legal writing and research component? Or is it only for those candidates who um, apply for assessment after January 1, 2022? So I'll answer the easy question first, which sure. is your last question. Yeah. Um, the, the requirement comes into place on January 1st, 2022. So any files assessed as of January, well, we won't be open January 1st, but January 2nd, 2022, mm -hmm. will be assigned the legal research and writing um, component. Now, they'll have to kind of, we'll have to look at the dates because if someone's file is ready to be assessed, they actually, uh, they actually have the policies that are in place at that time. So we'll have to kind of play with this a little bit as we get into December, um, because I'm, I mean, I, I know that we're going to talk about the impact of the, of the lockdown in Ontario, but mm -hmm. we're behind on issuing assessments. And so, you know, people who people, some people file some people's files that would have been assessed normally months ago are still waiting to be assessed but we'll we'll be working that out as we get towards november and december but if your file is ready to be assessed on january 1st or after and that means you've put your application in you've paid your fee all of your documents have arrived at the nca um you know your cv is here in a in a format that that um providing us with the information we need um that is when your file is ready to be assessed when you get your assessment pending email and so that is when that requirement will kick in. And in fact, we've done a couple of run-throughs with CPLED with the with the organization that's host that that's offering our legal research and writing module um, already. I think we've done three run-throughs of it. And we're going to put that on pause until um, until probably the end of January will be the first running of the course. Because mm -hmm. um, we did we did one that was a pilot at the very beginning. Um, and then we've done a couple of other run-throughs and got lots of really good feedback from the students who've gone through with what needed to be revised a little bit by, um, by CPLED and by the NCA in terms of um, the conduct of the course. Now, to turn to the question of why are we doing this, I think we have to point back to the national requirement. So the national requirement is the standards document that applies both to the NCA and to the Canadian common law programs. Mm -hmm. That's that document is made up of three components. One is the knowledge requirements. So you're all familiar with this, Canadian constitutional law, Canadian criminal law, contracts, torts, property, et cetera. So there's eight of those knowledge requirements. Second one is the skills requirement. We'll come back to that. And the third one are the facilities requirements for Canadian law schools. We have actually a proxy in terms of the NCA for how we deal with the facilities requirements because we don't look into how many books your library has or, or that type of thing. What we do is we look at the approval of your program or your law school by the authority for the jurisdiction in which that law school is, is, is located. Mm -hmm. So for United States, the American Bar Association, we're looking at the approval of the law school from the American Bar Association list only. Um, the skills are um, uh, include legal research and writing. And mm -hmm. so when the national requirement came into effect, which was January 1st, 2015, what we said in the NCA was 
Um, we're going to deem that anybody who comes through the NCA and completes all of their exams has met that requirement for legal, re legal research and writing. And in fact, that's insufficient because we know that people are coming from around the world with all sorts of various levels of legal research and writing that may be appropriate for the jurisdiction in which they were educated, but may not be appropriate for, uh, for Canada and, and certainly would not have gone into Canadian research um, uh, materials. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and of course, terminology is different in different countries um, in the way that they deal with, with language and um, legal language in particular. And so we are obliged under the national requirement to ensure that this skill is assessed and that all people coming through the NCA have demonstrated competency in that, in that area. Mm -hmm. So we've arranged with CPLED to, to have their legal research and writing module um, available, offered for the NCAs. And um, if people do it through the, if, as people do their legal research and writing module with CPLED, if they go through a CPLED province, those provinces are Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Nova Scotia. They won't have to redo that module when they get into their bar admission or licensure process. Mm -hmm. I'm also starting to talk to the law schools about what the Canadian law schools are offering, because this is Canadian legal research and writing. What you took in another country will not meet the requirements. And so I'm starting to talk to some of the Canadian schools about what they're offering and whether their um, courses could be uh, available to the NCAs as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, and to clarify um, for individuals interested or who will be applying for assessment in 2022, um, it'll be required that you undertake the CPLED course for now. I mean, and you mentioned you're talking to Canadian law schools and things like that, but for now, it's not a traditional exam per se, rather it's a mandatory course that all individuals will have to take. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. And that'll be the same thing for the Canadian law schools. It would be a mandatory course. So the, the, the CPLED uses the term module. It's, um, it's a six week, six or eight week. It's an eight week module. Sorry. Let me just get that right. It's an eight week module. Um, it is online. Um, there are formative and summative assessments and mm -hmm. there's feedback by, um, by instructors. Great. Yep. And I remember speaking to, uh, Kara from CPLED and, yes. and we kind of, we, she really highlighted the benefit of feedback, um, and how important that is, particularly when you're being assessed for your writing and your research skills. So I think that's that's an excellent um, development. Um, and actually another administrative question that kind of just um, popped up for me is um, if, if a candidate is undertaking the eight week course, can they also simultaneously complete, let's say for instance, a Canadian constitutional law exam? Absolutely. And, right. and people, and I, I, when I, when I'm having, when I do presentations with, with uh, people coming through the NCA, I, uh, I say, look at your life, look mm -hmm. at what's going on. Are you working a, a full-time job, a part-time job, a more than full-time job? Are you training for a triathlon? Are you, you know, preparing for something huge in your social life? You know, and, and look at that, look at our schedule and we'll have our 2022 schedule up, you know, in the next few months, um, kind of look at all of that and see what, um, what what's going to work for you and and my recommendation and this is not going to be requirement but my recommendation would be that you plan to do the lrw module earlier rather than later mm -hmm. because the the feedback from the people who've gone through it is that it significantly improved their writing skills right sort of prepares them 
for the rigors of some of the more difficult or, or tricky um, exams even. It could prepare you to, to successfully answer a tricky uh, short answer question in an exam as well. Um, more than just, you know, in practice, it could help you practically speaking um, while you're preparing for other exams. Makes and sense. not just and not just the the short ones it would you know it's going it, it you're going to be writing memos you're going to be and, mm-hmm. and you know on our exams some of them are write a memo to your articling supervisor right. um laying out xyz yeah. right yeah and you'd have that prep that makes sense that's uh, that's some good advice again not required but um a bit of advice perhaps or a suggestion anyway um so just moving on to the next question, Deborah. Um, you know, we you kind of you hinted that we might discuss a little bit about how the Ontario shutdowns have affected everybody, and we will. Um, but but um, in particular, I think there are some candidates suggesting that it affected the processing times for applications. Um, there are there are people sort of, you know, famously whether it's true or not on on social media saying I I applied. Um, in November of uh, 2020, <laughs> and I haven't heard anything back yet. You know, and I mean that—that's an extreme example. But, but you know, there's a general sense that that processing times took some time, um, and I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to that and sort of explain what was going on, and maybe a little bit about now looking forward, given that we're in a bit of a better place here in the province of Ontario, what those processing times might look like. Right. So, I mean, the first comment I would have on what you've just said, Anton, is if somebody applied in November 2020 and they haven't heard anything from us, they need to get in touch with us. <laughs> yeah, because that there's something something's gone wrong. Yeah, I mean, we would we would have been in touch with them since then. Yeah. So um, first thing I would say, though, on um, on the impact of the lockdowns is the NCA and the Federation of Law Societies of Canada are not essential services. Um, and so we we did not fall under, um, you know, we're not a licensing body. Um, and, and we very carefully read the regulations and we are not a, an essential body. So we had to close our office. And what we did is we had to look at what can, what, what can we do and what can we not do when the office is closed? And there was a lot that we could do. In fact, I was the first shutdown in, in March, 2020, I had to lay off a couple of people. We got mm. to the point where in, when we shut, had the shutdown kind of December, January, 2020, 2021, um, we were able to fully employ everyone. And wow. so, you know, so some things had changed in, in the way that we do it, but there were certain things that we could not do. Um, the certificate of qualification itself is a secure paper document. We could not prepare those from a distance. Mm. Uh, we could do everything else. We could say, we could determine whether someone had qualified for it for the most part. I mean, sometimes we need to look into a file if there's something that's complicated in it. Um, you know, uh, now that uh, many of the law schools are issuing electronic transcripts, um, it became easier for us to do file reviews. Um, now that many of the law societies or equivalent bodies in other jurisdictions have their lawyer, attorney, barrister, solicitor licensing roles online, we're able to do some of that where we before we had to wait for certificates of membership to come through to us. So there's a bunch of stuff that we could do. We could not. Um, assess files because that is all done online or sorry that's all done on paper mm-hmm. even, even if the documents come to us online chances are that um, even if somebody has provided us with their transcripts online there's other pieces that had to come on paper and we we deal we have a very strong and never um, violated rule of first come first serve 
So um, once someone has all of the materials ready for their assessment, they go into the queue along with um, the others and we don't prioritize you know, this person in front of that person. And so you know, we, I know that we had received some emails saying, I gave you everything electronic and it's all here and it's now April 30th, 2021, you need to assess my file immediately. And you know, that's not gonna happen because there's a lot of people in front of you. Um, and, and, and including some people, I think now we've got most of the people who are from November and December, their files have been assessed, but it would depend. Did they have all the materials in? Because just simply putting in your application form and paying the fee isn't the end, you know, isn't that isn't the sum total of what needs to be done in order to have a file ready for assessment. Mm. Um, so, so let me just kind of go through this. Um, we were open from July to December, 2020. Um, we were fully caught up from the first lockdown um, and uh, things were ticking along quite nicely. Uh, we, we were locked down uh, kind of later December, January, middle of February, and we received an enormous quantity of mail because of course Ontario was locked down, but a lot of other places weren't. Um, we were just catching up when we locked down again in, at the beginning of April. And so we are now at the point where, um, as of were today, July 13th, um, we opened the offices again on June 30th. We started assessing files. My deputy director and I had made that as our top priority over the last two weeks. And so the first batch of 200, and I don't, I don't remember, 15 or so assessments went out yesterday, and the, there'll be a couple of stragglers today. Um, and those were, th those were the files that were all that we were about to start to assess um, at the end of March, early April. And so there probably were people whose files were ready to be assessed in about, um, uh, I don't know, maybe December or January. I mean, I'd have to take, a, I'd have to talk to my, my team to find out what the, what the actual dates are. And now we're moving on. So there's another hundred or so that'll get assessed this week that'll go out on Monday. And then we'll start working through the various backlogs. Um, everything is dated. So we know when the mail arrived and we will be um, systematically going through first come first serve again, as I said, and making sure that those files um, get assessed as quickly as possible. Um, as quickly as possible while maintaining um, accuracy and, uh, and, and ensuring that we have everything that we need to assess the files. Last year, we were shut down March through to into July, and we had caught up with the mail by into September. Um, but the mail had really slowed down in that lockdown. This time the mail did not slow down to the same extent. Mm. And so it may take us a little bit longer to get through the mail, but I've also staffed up as well. So I have an additional person working in the office on, um, on processing mail. So I'm hoping that that's gonna let us catch up in the same time frame. So, you know, I think a reasonable time frame to get through the backlog of mail in Anton, if I could show you a picture of my office with all mm. the stacks of mail, you know, securely locked in my office, because of course it's all personal data, right? So we had to make mm. sure that everything was secured. Um, it's stacks and stacks and stacks and boxes of mail. So I would hope that we would be through that mail into September, but there's various pieces to this process, right? And so um, uh, while people are going through the mail, um, other people are making sure that the files, the right documents go into the right files, and then they come to my deputy and I to do the assessments. So we're working through it. And, and the summer is always a busy time for the NCA in terms of files because of the people who graduate um, from let's say England, Australia, well, less so Australia, but England and US mm -hmm. and then apply immediately to come back to Canada. So the summer's always busy, um, but I had people um, taking their vacation 
when we knew that we were probably going to open up, you know, towards the end of June or into July, I said to people, take your vacation in June. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I did that too. I took, I took a week in June. Um, and so most of my staff will not be taking any time apart from, you know, maybe a day here, a day there, uh, over the summer until we get through this backlog. And it's, you know, that that's tough on people, um, particularly people with children who, where the children are off in the summer, but you know, the, so we're trying to make sure that we balance, um, that ability and, and making sure that at the same time, we are at a reasonable pace getting through more than a reasonable pace, getting through the backlogs of everything that's come forward to us. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And as you're talking, obviously, you, you were saying, if you could show me a picture I, in my mind's eye, I can see it. Um, your office and the amount of, it sounds like it's just, um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it can be quite overwhelming, I can imagine. Yeah. And let me just um, finish off on the fact that we're not essential. So right. our, our rules on um, who can work in the office for the Federation of Law Societies of Canada are only those people who need to be in the office to do their job are allowed to go into the office. And so at, that, at this point, that means um, several members of my team, but not everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and then some people, not all the time. So right. um, we've got the people who are dealing with the filing and opening the mail and um, you know verifying that the transcripts are are um are official and those types of things so those folks are in the office um i'm in the office a few days a week my deputy's in the office a few days a week and um, everybody else is working is continuing to work remotely Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. makes sense well i mean i think that that should answer the question or at least paint a picture as to you know, maybe pulling back the curtain a little bit on on what goes into processing applications and and the efforts that are being undertaken now in order to speed that up as best that you can. Um, so moving moving on to a different question, Deborah. I know we we kind of spoke about this before. I think because when the pandemic hit in the first instance, there were some questions from. Um, students who were attending law schools who would then, you know, everything, not only the NCA, but all, almost all education around the world transitioned to an online learning platform. And so there were some questions back then about, well, wait a second, now that it's online, is it going to be validated, um, for lack of a better word, by the NCA? Is it going to be okay um, that I'm studying online? And there were some changes to the policy that reflected that, um, yes, in, in some instances it would be, but still um, an online law degree in full. Um, so one of those online LLBs from, let's say, the University of London, which can be quite popular. Um, I'm wondering if you could just get into a little bit about what the difference is. Um, and I, perhaps these, these are quite difficult questions to do quickly, but as, as quick and as cursory as you can, I suppose, the difference between what students were worried about when you, know, when you sign up to an in-person law degree um, and it ends up being online versus um, undertaking a full online law degree from the start. Um, what is the difference there? Like how come the NCA or the policies have changed to allow for some parts of a law degree to be done distance learning um, and why and a full online degree is not allowed, or there are there are more steps needed to be taken by the candidates in order to to get accredited. If I phrase that, I mean that was long winded, yeah. Deborah. Sorry, I, sorry I, about no, that. No, that's my point. I, under, I understand yeah. your question. Okay. Um, 
So there are three categories of what we call mode of studies. So anyone who's interested in, in reading our policy um, should go to our policy document, section seven, mode of study. There are three types, three modes of study. One is um, the traditional sitting in a classroom, interacting with your colleagues, interacting with your professors, um, doing, having conversations in the hallways, having office hours, moot courts, all sorts of things. So that's, that, that is what we call um, in-person in mm -hmm. instruction. The, the other traditional, although much less frequently followed, is what is, is offered by the University of London, which is a traditional distance education. Mm -hmm. And essentially it's, here's your curriculum, your syllabus, here are, here's your materials, come back and write an exam in six months or four months or whatever the time may be. Now, I, I, I'm simplifying it a little bit just to make mm -hmm. a point. Yep. So that, that's distance education. And then the third category, which is relatively new, although it wasn't unheard of before the pandemic, um, it is now very, very well known around the world in all sorts of um, educational sectors, elementary, secondary, and, and, and tertiary. Um, and that is work terming online instruction, mm -hmm. interactive online instruction. So there's in-person, there's on interactive online instruction, and there's distance learning. So distance learning, the evaluation of that has not changed. Distance learning people have not met the, the, the national requirement. I'm going to go back to the national requirement as our standards document. Mm -hmm. And it requires that of the three years, and, and law in Canada is three years, and so the people coming through the NCA have to have a three-year legal education. That doesn't mean that they have to have taken three years of legal education to apply to the NCA, just that we're going to make sure that they have an equivalent of three years by the time they get their certificate. Yeah. Um, if you come to us with a traditional distance education, distance learning education, you will have to attend law school. And so where we have come with the policy that is dated, uh, the policy that is dated June 1st, 2021, is that you can attend, that you, here's what your, your, your um, degree needs to include. It needs to include one year physically in person, sitting in a classroom with a professor in the classroom. One year may be physically in person, maybe interactive online, and then one year could be anything. Mm. might be physically in person, might be interactive online, it might be distance learning, it might be through NCA exam. So that's where we've landed. Mm -hmm. And that is the most flexibility that we can provide under the national requirement as it is written now. And that national requirement is from 2018. We are undertaking a review of the national requirement. And one of the pieces of that review will include looking at mode of study and what is the appropriate uh, mix of the three years of the types of, mode of modes of study over those three-year periods. And I think what's been, I think I said it before, hashtag pandemic perks, we've all learned so much about what can be done online mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and what's better online and what's worse online. And so I think that that the timing of this review is, is really quite, um, uh, it's going to help us move forward with that, that evaluation and that reconsideration of what is the appropriate mix of the types of modes of learning, um, modes of study when it comes to the NCA and the national requirement. And this will apply to the Canadian law schools as well, uh, uh, of course, because the national requirement applies to both. And I, I know that we get emails saying, you're not requiring the Canadian students to sit in classroom. Why are you making us do it? And that's not true. Mm -hmm. The Canadian students do have to sit in classroom, but because the degrees are three years, they're all three years and minimum in Canada, um, they're only at the point now where they're starting into the second year of what may or may not be 
um, physically in person. And my understanding from the law schools, and I talk to them all regularly mm-hmm. in Canada, is all of them but one are going to be primarily or all in person starting in September. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you know, the, the, the comparison of what's, what is applied to the Canadians, Canadian schools versus the schools outside of Canada is equivalent. Right. Now, um, so when, when, we're, when we're talking about this and, and about uh, online learning and all of that, um, we have to look at all of the source documents that back up the national requirement. And there are a few of those documents on our website. And they talk about what you, what you gain from being physically in person. Um, and I think anybody who has attended, oh, Anton, I don't know how many thousands of meetings I've attended in the last you know, 16 months yeah. over Zoom. We all know that there's benefits that you get from being in a physically in-person meeting versus a Zoom meeting. Mm-hmm. And a Zoom meeting is good. We get our work done, but it's not, it, it doesn't have all of the benefits um, of being a physical in-person meeting. And so where the policy is now is where the policy will, I, I'm going to predict, will stay until we have a new version of the national requirement, which is likely going to be in the in later in 2022 or early 2023. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. And like you say, like the a sort of microcosm example would be Zoom meetings. Um, but, you know, come speaking from experience and, and studying um, a law degree in person, there are, all, you know, it's <laughs> when you're retaining some some difficult information, it's always good to sort of give a side glance to your classmate and ask for some clarity in and that that those kind of moments really um happen more organically let's say in person and and you mentioned you know there are benefits to to in-person um in-class study that go just beyond the classroom in the hallways for instance in the libraries in in things like moots so um yeah i can see that there are benefits and i can also see that there are some frustrations you know with some jurisdictions not requiring an in-person um degree um you know then there may be people saying, well, how come Canada is so rigid? And, you know, it, it's, at this point, it, it is what it is. Um, and I think you've, you've definitely clarified um, the three different modes of study and, and why the, the national requirement is how it is and how the NCA sort of adapted policies to fit that um, and to fit the new normal. And also now, you know, I suppose some some interesting info that the national requirement is under review and could change. So I, I suppose watch this space. Um, now, the last question I had, Deborah, from from listeners, um, is just briefly, if you could um, go through, uh, I suppose the logic or not the logic, I guess that's, that's, that's not the right word, but there are civil law grads and there are common law grads. Um, and civil law grads are required to do things a little bit differently or they're not uh, assessed in the same way because of the nature of their degree and where, you know, the jurisdiction in which they earned it. So I'm wondering if you could just briefly outline the differences um, and how the NCA views a civil law grad versus a common law grad and what civil law grads are required to do in order to meet um, the NCA accreditation standard? So again, there's three categories. Um, we have common law grads, we have mixed law grads, and we have non-common law grads. Mm-hmm. So um, most of the non-common law grads are going to be civil law, but not exclusively. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think everybody knows, you know, the and, and I go through this when I do the presentations with um, current or future uh, NCA students. Um, common law, of course, coming with it from the tradition of, of fr- from England, 
so United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, um, England, Ireland, um, Wales, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, mixed law means that there's an influence other than that, that, that common law is there, but there's another influence. So that could be Israel, uh, South Africa, Scotland, uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there's, and those lists are on our website um, and you could find it on our website. Uh, there's a few different ways you could find it, but you can just use the search bar and put in jurisdiction. And the first question, the first response that'll pop up will have the link to that document. Mm-hmm. And then we have non-common law. And, and many of these um, jurisdictions follow the, tr- the French tradition, which is more statutory based um, and is a different approach to the way that law is practiced. And so if someone comes to us with a pure non-common law background, so what, which jurisdictions are these? All of continental Europe, all of Central and South America, um, much of Asia. So in fact, much of the world, mm-hmm. um, we are going to ask them to get to earn a substantive common law exposure uh, before they can write any exams with us. So what does that mean, a substantive common law exposure? That could mean writing the New York bar exams and getting called in New York. It could mean taking a common law LLM, not an international law LLM, but a common law LLM in Canada, United States, England, Australia, um, other jurisdictions. It could mean um, getting going through bar school, uh, so an LPC or a BPTC in England or a PCL, like the different kinds of bar schools that there are in, in um, Australia, New Zealand, different jurisdictions like that. Um, or it could mean attending in Canada um, some of the other, not, not necessarily an LLM, but it could be some of the other um, offerings that are, that are now available. Single course enrollment at a few schools or in, um, in Alberta, at University of Alberta and new in, in the University of Calgary, the uh, one-year programs that they offer there that allow people to take uh, courses alongside the JD students. So they have to have that substantive exposure. What was new in our 2019 policy, and I'd been working on this for 10 years to make sure to get the committee to agree, um, was that if someone had taken, if someone has been licensed as a paralegal in Ontario or a notary in British Columbia, licensed, right? So that mm-hmm. means they've done the education, gone through the process and have been called in Ontario or in BC, so Ontario is a P1 in BC as a notary through the, the, notar- the, notar- the notary um, licensing body. Then we can say, okay, you've got your common law exposure. We have to assign you the eight subjects and um, let you go through the exam. Oh, that's interesting. I, that, that's good. That, I, I learned something new today too. <laughs> that, that's, um, that's useful. I mean, I suppose if I'd learned that, then maybe there are others who wouldn't have known that, but um I have known some internationally trained lawyers to undertake a paralegal diploma um, as a sort of stepping stone to accreditation um, with, you know, a, a sort of a logical stepping stone. And, and this may, it may now make sense in my head a little bit more that, that actually most of those individuals did come from a civil law background. So interesting to know anyway. Great. And they need to be P1s. Yep. Yeah. Sure. Uh, well, I think that that kind of that explains it, uh, Deborah, and that sort of wraps up the questions that we had from listeners. Um, and in sort of the middle of our conversation today, we had we had mentioned how 
how difficult um, or at least how affected everybody's been by the Ontario wide lockdowns. In fact, you know, um, different provinces in Canada handle lockdowns differently. In Quebec, there were some curfews attached to lockdowns and in different zones. And in Ontario, they went from zones to a full province wide lockdown. Um, it was really difficult, you know, and, and sort of the 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 yo-yo effect of the up and down of um, maybe sort of in November into early December, we were kind of excited at the fact that things were lifting. And then lo and behold, everything shuts a week before Christmas. Or no, I guess it might've been Boxing Day in Ontario. Things kind mm -hmm. of really shut down. Um, and I'm curious to know how your teams handled things like, you know, you mentioned your office is stacked up with paperwork. Um, you managed to bring people back um, or at least hire on, even hire on new staff. Um, so things are looking up. But I think, you know, to sort of look back and, and think about where we were um, even 10 months ago to now, it's been one hell of a journey uh, um, with, with more than likely quite a few um, stressful moments and, you know, discussions and talks with your staff on on how to manage work-life balance and how to manage just you know getting through a pandemic which which a lot of people never thought they'd have to do so you know i i wonder if you could touch a little bit on that and how your teams manage i think it's important um for for listeners and everybody to understand that you know the the nca is a group of people um and and just wondering how things have gone for you guys well, you know, thank you so much, Anton, for asking this question. I think um, I think all of us in our lives, when we say to someone, how are you? It's a little different now than it used to be, right? You know, if right. we would greet, um, you know, an, a, a, a colleague or a, um, uh, an acquaintance pre-pandemic and you'd say, how are you doing? You know, you expect fine. Um, mm -hmm. But now I think the question of how are you is a little bit different. And um, the, the stresses on everyone have been enormous. Um, the, I've got a large number of my staff have young children at home um, who have been doing virtual learning or a mix of in-person and then sent back home and doing virtual learning. And so um, I've really taken an approach that um, you set the time, like as long as the work is getting done, I don't care whether you're doing it at nine o'clock or at nine o'clock in the morning. Instead, you need to make sure that your child is, is logged in for their virtual learning and you know, mm -hmm. you're know you balancing it. I've got people working all sorts of different schedules and, and that's really important. Um, I, I'd have to say that the first, for me personally, the first four months, six months of the of the pandemic were extraordinarily stressful and difficult. Um, moving the exams online was um, was a huge undertaking, and I'm very happy with where we are in the end. Um, we brought in three extra people, staff members, in November, uh, one person in the office, and then two others to help with emails. That has made a massive difference mm -hmm. to all of my staff members. Um, because having those people who are focused specifically on answering the emails allowed the, the team members who are supposed to be doing the work of um, reviewing the files or issuing the certificates or um, you know, all of the different tasks that need to be done at the NCA, uh, running the exam system. You know, now they were answering emails about why are you late? Why is this taking so long? Why, why haven't you got back to me on XYZ? Um, and now they can go and concentrate on their work while the two people who are, are focused on emails are taking care of all of those questions. And so things are improving in that, in that sense. Um, it's, been, it's been a challenge. We're, we're a really tight office. We're not a big office. And it's been a challenge not to be able to see each other and, you know, and, and, and talk about the, 
the good things and the bad things that have happened over the past year, you know, whether the good things are new relationships or, um, you know, additions to the family or the bad things are, I, I lost a pet. You know, I had to have a pet mm. put down. And, and, and you know, the, so many of us in, in my little team are very, very strong um, animal lovers. And to go through that alone was really difficult. I mean, obviously right. not alone, I have my family, but you know, that's the type of thing where there's other cat lovers in, in my in my office and, and um, you know, we would go through those types of things together. So those things have been difficult. And I think at this point, we're all looking up. It's all looking more positive. It's, it, and we're looking to the future and we're looking at what does reopening look like for the NCA? Um, what does work look like in the next six months? Um, now, of course, we're focused right now on getting rid of the backlogs and making sure that people have what they need to have to move on through the NCA. But we're also looking at 2022. What's our exam schedule going to look like? Um, what's going to happen in um, when are we going to have more people back in the office? When, is, when will it be safe to have more people back in the office? Um, when can we get together and do some of the things that we used to do that were maybe a little bit more social rather than simply focused on on the work? And my team, there's various kinds of sub teams within the larger team, and they are so close and they mm -hmm. talk all day, every day, and they're helping each other and they're picking up when somebody has to says, you know, I'm ill, I need a day off. You know, others are picking up the, 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 um, the tasks and the workload. And so, you know, Anton, I really appreciate you asking about this because it's been very difficult. And I have to say that I'm feeling quite positive mm -hmm. um, about what we're going to go through in the next while. Um, it's going to be extraordinarily busy, which I prefer. I prefer to be in a busier environment, but mm -hmm. not so busy that you can't do anything but work. And I have, and, and last summer, um, uh, you know, I, I was probably putting in and, and a bunch of my team members were putting in 18 hour days for months on end. And that's not healthy. And that's not what um, that's not what we should do. And so, um, you know, we're looking at how can we make sure that people are planning out their vacations? And um, does somebody want to take every Friday off or every Monday off for the next while, you know, and, 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 while still maintaining and getting through the, the backlog? So those are the types of things that we're having the conversations that we're having now. Mm -hmm. Well, it's good to hear that things are looking up, Deborah. And um, it's one of those things I don't think the last 12 months will ever really leave us um, moving forward, like you say, I, I, and I found it too in a different project I'm working on building a team, there's this new sort of sense of an accepting of different work-life balances and different schedules and, you know, adaptability and not having to be in the office. But at the same time, I think it's really important now that we've experienced some degree of isolation um, to have that community um, of the office back and to sort of looking forward to meeting up with people and like you say, doing the things you used to do or, you know, going out on a Friday evening for a drink and things like that. Those things have been sorely missed and, and they really do add to team morale and um, hopefully, you know, not only professionally within the NCA offices, but hopefully for your team as well, things things do get better and better and continue to improve. Yeah, thank, thanks, Anton. And, and, and I think that we've all, I mean, obviously we've all suffered and we've all learned from it. And um, whenever we have something that is life-changing and whether it's a, you know, a serious health diagnosis, you, you, you kind of reass you reassess your priorities. Mm -hmm. And and were you too busy or were you not busy enough before? You know, were you were you uh, did you have the right amount of social interaction? Um, do you understand better whether you're an introvert or an extrovert or, um, you know, how how do all these things go? And I think, you know, and, and, and well, I agree with you that we're not going to forget this, but I hope that the things that we've learned and the things that we've um, gained 
that we remember those um, right. and, and that we're able to say, you know what, this was good. This was bad. And, mm-hmm. and keep the good and learn from the bad. Exactly. Well said. We're going to end it right there, Deborah. I couldn't have said it any better. Um, as always, I appreciate you taking the time out to speak with me and and to uh, to speak to the listeners. I know that they really appreciate it as well. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. And it's a, it's a pleasure. And we can do this on a regular basis as we, we've been doing for the last number of months. So Great. Thanks so much. Talking to you again. Thank you. And that does it for episode 37 of the NCA series. Thank you, as always, to Deborah for taking time out to speak with me. Thank you to the listeners who submitted questions. I hope those questions were answered. Um, And to, to all the listeners, I hope everyone managed to learn something from this one. Until next time, we'll talk again.